Act Five of The Conscious Lovers by Richard Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act the Fifth. Scene One. Sealand's House. Enter Phyllis with lights before Myrtle, disguised like old Sir Geoffrey, supported by Mrs. Sealand, Lucinda, and Simberton. Now I have seen you thus far, Sir Geoffrey, will you excuse me a moment while I give my necessary orders for your accommodation? Exit Mrs. Sealand. I have not seen you, Cousin Simberton, since you were ten years old. And as it is incumbent on you to keep up our name and family, I shall, upon very reasonable terms, join with you in a settlement to that purpose. Though I must tell you, cousin, this is the first merchant that has married into our house. Lucinda, aside. Do, Sonam. Am I a merchant because my father is? But is he directly a traitor at this time? There's no hiding the disgrace, sir. He trades to all parts of the world. We never had one in our family before who descended from persons that did anything. Sir, since it is a girl that they have, I am, for the honour of my family, willing to take it in again and to sink her into our name, and no harm done. Disprudently and generously resolved. Is this the young thing? Yes, sir. Phyllis to Lucinda. Good madam, don't be out of humour, but let them run the utmost of their extravagance. Hear them out. Can't I see her nearer? My eyes are but weak. Phyllis to Lucinda. Beside, I am sure the uncle has something worth your notice. I'll take care to get off the young one and leave you to observe what may be wrought out of the old one for your good. Exit. Ma'am, this old gentleman, your great-uncle, desires to be introduced to you and to see you nearer. Approach, sir. By your leave, young lady. Puts on spectacles. Cousin Simberton. She has exactly that sort of neck and bosom for which my sister Gertrude was so admired in the year 61, before the French dresses first discovered anything in women below the chin. Lucinda, aside. What a very odd situation I am in, though I cannot but be diverted at the extravagance of their humours equally unsuitable to their age. Chin, quotha. I don't believe my passionate lover there knows whether I have one or not. Ha <laughs> ha. Madam, I would not willingly offend, but I have a better glass. Pulls out a large one. Enter Phyllis. Phyllis to Simberton. Sir, my lady desires to show you the apartment that she intends for Sir Geoffrey. Well, sir, by that time you will have sufficiently gazed and sunned yourself in the beauties of my spouse there. I will wait on you again. Exit Simberton and Phyllis. Were it not, madame, that I might be troublesome, there is something of importance, though we are alone, which I would say more safe from being heard. Lucinda, aside. There is something in this old fellow, methinks, that raises my curiosity. To be free, madame, I as heartily condemn this kinsman of mine as you do, 
and I am sorry to see so much beauty and merit devoted by your parents to so insensible a possessor. Surprising. I hope then, sir, you will not contribute to the wrong you are so generous as to pity, whatever may be the interest of your family. This hand of mine shall never be employed to sign anything against your good and happiness. I am sorry, sir, it is not in my power to make you proper acknowledgments. But there is a gentleman in the world whose gratitude will, I am sure, be worthy of the favor. All the thanks I desire, madame, are in your power to give. Name them and command them. Only, madame, that the first time you are alone with your lover, you will, with open arms, receive him. As willingly as his heart could wish it. Thus, then, he claims your promise. Oh, Lucinda. Oh, a cheat, a cheat, a cheat. Hush, tis I, tis I, your lover, Myrtle himself, madame. Oh, bless me, what a rashness and folly to surprise me so. But hush, my mother. Enter Mrs. Sealand, Simperton, and Phyllis. How now? What's the matter? Oh, madam, as soon as you left the room, my uncle fell into a sudden fit, and... and so I cried out for help to support him and conduct him to his chamber. That was kindly done. Alas, sir, how do you find yourself? Never was taken in so odd a way in my life. Pray lead me. Oh, I was talking here. Pray carry on to my cousin Simberton's young lady. Mrs. Sealand, aside. My cousin Simberton's young lady, how zealous he is even in his extremity for the match. A right Simberton. Simberton and Lucinda lead him as one in pain. Pox, uncle, will you pull my ear off? Pray, uncle, you will squeeze me to death. No matter, no matter. He knows not what he does. Come, sir, shall I help you out? By no means. I'll trouble nobody but my young cousins here. They lead him off. But pray, madam, does your ladyship intend that Mr. Simberton shall really marry my young mistress at last? I don't think he likes her. That's not material. Men of his speculation are above desires. But be as it may, now I have given old Sir Geoffrey the trouble of coming up to sign and seal, with what countenance can I be off? as well as with twenty others madam it is the glory and honour of a great fortune to live in continual treaties and still to break off it looks great madam true phyllis yet to return our blood again into the simbertons is an honour not to be rejected but were you not saying that sir john beville's creature humphrey has been with mr sealand yes madam I overheard them agree that Mr. Sealand should go himself and visit this unknown lady that Mr. Beville is so great with, and if he found nothing there to fright him, then Mr. Beville should still marry my young mistress. How? Nay, then he shall find she is my daughter as well as his. I'll follow him this instant and take the whole family along with me. The disputed power of disposing of my own daughter shall be at an end this very night. I'll live no longer in anxiety for a little hussy that hurts my appearance wherever I carry her, and for whose sake I seem to be at all regarded, and that in the best of my days. Indeed, madam, if she were married, your ladyship might very well be taken for Mr. Sealand's daughter. 
nay when the chit has not been with me i have heard the man say as much i'll no longer cut off the greatest pleasure of a woman's life the shining in assemblies by her forward anticipation of the respect that's due to her superior she shall down to simberton hall she shall she shall i hope madam i shall stay with your ladyship thou shalt phyllis and i'll place thee then more about me but order chairs immediately i'll be gone this minute exeunt scene two charing cross enter mr sealand and humphrey i am very glad mr humphrey that you agree with me that it is for our common good i should look thoroughly into this matter i am indeed of that opinion for there is no artifice nothing concealed in our family which ought in justice to be known i need not desire you sir to treat the lady with care and respect master humphrey i shall not be rude though i design to be a little abrupt and come into the matter at once to see how she will bear upon a surprise that's the door sir i wish you success while humphrey speaks sealand consults his table-book i am less concerned what happens there because i hear mr myrtle is well lodged as old sir geoffrey so i am willing to let this gentleman employ himself here to give them time at home for i am sure tis necessary for the quiet of our family lucinda were disposed of out of it since mr bevel's inclination is so much otherwise engaged exit i think this is the door knocks i'll carry this matter with an air of authority to inquire though i make an errand to begin discourse knocks again and enter a footboy so young man is your lady within alack sir i am but a country boy i don't know whether she is or no but um you stay a bit i'll go away and ask the gentlewoman that's with her why sirrah though you are a country boy you can see can't you you know whether she is at home when you see her don't you nay nay i'm not such a country lad neither master to think she's at home because i see her i have been in town but a month and i lost one place already for believing my own eyes why sirrah have you learnt to lie already ah master things that are lies in the country are not lies at london i begin to know my business a little better than so but um you please to walk in i'll call a gentleman to you that can tell you for certain she can make bold to ask my lady herself oh then she is within i find though you dare not say so nay nay that's neither here nor there what's matter whether she is within or no if she has not a mind to see anybody i can't tell sirrah whether you are arch or simple but however get me a direct answer and here's a shilling for you will you please walk in i'll see what i can do for you i see you will be fit for your business in time child but i expect to meet with nothing but extraordinaries in such a house such a house sir you haven't seen it yet pray walk in sir i'll wait upon you Exeunt. scene three indiana's house enter isabella 
what anxiety do i feel for this poor creature what will be the end of her such a languishing unreserved passion for a man that at last must certainly leave or ruin her and perhaps both then the aggravation of the distress is that she does not believe he will not but i must own if they are both what they would seem they are made for one another as much as adam and eve were for there is no other of their kind but themselves enter boy so daniel what news with you madam there's a gentleman below would speak with my lady sir don't you know mr bevel yet madam tis not the gentleman who comes every day and asks for you and won't go in till he knows whether you are with her or no ha that's a particular i did not know before well be it who it will let him come up to me exit boy and re-enters with mr sealand isabella looks amazed madam i can't blame your being a little surprised to see a perfect stranger make a visit and i am indeed surprised aside i see he does not know me you are very prettily lodged here madam in truth it seems you have everything in plenty aside and looking about a thousand a year i warrant you upon this pretty nest of rooms and the dainty one within them isabella apart twenty years it seems have less effect in the alteration of a man of thirty than of a girl of fourteen he's almost still the same but alas i find by other men as well as himself i am not what i was as soon as he spoke i was convinced twas he how shall i contain my surprise and satisfaction he must not know me yet madam i hope i don't give you any disturbance but there is a young lady here with whom i have a particular business to discourse and i hope she will admit me to that favour why sir have you had any notice concerning her i wonder who could give it you that madam is fit only to be communicated to herself well sir you shall see her aside i find he knows nothing yet nor shall from me i am resolved i will observe this interlude this sport of nature and of fortune you shall see her presently sir for now i am as a mother and will trust her with you exit as a mother all right that's the old phrase for one of these commode ladies who lend out beauty for hire to young gentlemen that have pressing occasions but here comes the precious lady herself in truth a very sightly woman enter indiana i am told sir you have some affair that requires your speaking with me yes madam there came to my hands a bill drawn by mr bevel which is payable to-morrow and he in the intercourse of business sent it to me who have cash of his and desired me to send a servant with it but i have made bold to bring you the money myself sir was that necessary no madam but to be free with you the fame of your beauty and the regard which mr bevel is a little too well known to have for you 
excited my curiosity too well known to have for me your sober appearance sir which my friend described made me expect no rudeness or absurdity at least who's there sir if you pay the money to a servant twill be as well pray madam be not offended i came hither on an innocent nay a virtuous design and if you will have patience to hear me it may be as useful to you as you are in a friendship with mr bevel as to my only daughter whom i was this day disposing of you make me hope sir i have mistaken you i am composed again be free say on aside what i am afraid to hear i feared indeed an unwarranted passion here but i did not think it was in abuse of so worthy an object so accomplished a lady as your sense and mean bespeak but the youth of our age care not what merit or virtue they bring to shame so they gratify sir you are going into very great errors but as you are pleased to say you see something in me that has changed at least the colour of your suspicions so has your appearance altered mine and made me earnestly attentive to what has any way concerned you to inquire into my affairs and character how sensibly and with what an air she talks good sir be seated and tell me tenderly keep all your suspicions concerning me alive that you may in a proper and prepared way acquaint me why the care of your daughter obliges a person of your seeming worth and fortune to be thus inquisitive about a wretched helpless friendless weeping but i beg your pardon though i am an orphan your child is not and your concern for her it seems has brought you hither i'll be composed pray go on sir how would mr bevel be such a monster to injure such a woman no sir you wrong him he has not injured me my support is from his bounty bounty when gluttons give high prices for delicates they are prodigious bountiful still still you will persist in that error but my own fears tell me all you are the gentleman i suppose for whose happy daughter he is designed a husband by his good father and he has perhaps consented to the overture he was here this morning dressed beyond his usual plainness nay more sumptuously and he is to be perhaps this night a bridegroom i own he was intended such but madam on your account i have determined to defer my daughter's marriage till i am satisfied from your own mouth of what nature are the obligations you are under to him his actions sir his eyes have only made me think he designed to make me the partner of his heart the goodness and gentleness of his demeanour made me misinterpret all twas my own hope my own passion that deluded me he never made one amorous advance to me his large heart and bestowing hand have only helped the miserable nor know i why but from his mere delight in virtue that i have been his care and the object on which to indulge and please himself with pouring favours madam i know not why it is but i as well as you am methinks afraid of entering into the matter i came about but tis the same thing as if we had talked never so distinctly he ne'er shall have a daughter of mine if you say this from what you think of me you wrong yourself and him let not me miserable though i may be do injury to my benefactor 
no sir my treatment ought rather to reconcile you to his virtues if to bestow without a prospect of return if to delight in supporting what might perhaps be thought an object of desire with no other view than to be her guard against those who would not be so disinterested if this action sir can in a careful parent's eye commend him to a daughter give yours sir give her to my honest generous beville what have i to do but sigh and weep and rave run wild a lunatic in chains or hid in darkness mutter in distracted starts and broken accents my strange strange story take comfort madam all my comfort must be to expostulate in madness to relieve with frenzy my despair and shrieking to demand of fate why why was i born to such variety of sorrows if i have been the least occasion no twas heaven's high will i should be such to be plundered in my cradle tossed on the seas and even there an infant captive to lose my mother hear but of my father to be adopted lose my adopter then plunged again into worse calamities an infant captive yet then to find the most charming of mankind once more to set me free from what i thought the last distress to load me with his services his bounties and his favours to support my very life in a way that stole at the same time my very soul itself from me but has young bevel been this worthy man yet then again this very man to take another without leaving me the right the pretence of easing my fond heart with tears for oh i can't reproach him though the same hand that raised me to this height now throws me down the precipice dear lady oh yet one moment's patience my heart grows full with your affliction but yet there's something in your story that my portion here is bitterness and sorrow do not think so pray answer me does bevel know your name and family alas too well uh, could i be any other thing than what i am i'll tear away all traces of my former self my little ornaments the remains of my first state the hints of what i ought to have been in her disorder she throws away a bracelet which Celan takes up and looks earnestly on it ha oh, what's this my eyes are not deceived it is it is the same the very bracelet which i bequeathed to my wife at our last mournful parting what said you sir your wife whither does my fancy carry me what means this unfelt motion at my heart and yet again my fortune but deludes me for if i are not sir your name is silent but my lost father's name was danvers was it not what new amazement that is indeed my family know then when my misfortunes drove me to the indies for reasons too tedious now to mention i changed my name of danvers into sealand enter isabella if yet there wants an explanation of your wonder examine well this face yours sir i well remember gaze on and read in me your sister isabella my sister but here's a claim more tender yet your indiana sir 
your long-lost daughter. Oh, my child, my child. Oh, gracious heaven, is it possible? Do I embrace my father? And I do hold thee. These passions are too strong for utterance. Rise, rise, my child, and give my tears their way. Oh, my sister. Embracing her. Now, dearest niece, my groundless fears, my painful cares no more shall vex thee. If I have wronged thy noble lover with too much suspicion, my just concern for thee, I hope, will plead my pardon. Oh, make him, then, the full amends, and be yourself the messenger of joy. Fly this instant, tell him all these wondrous turns of providence in his favour. Tell him I have now a daughter to bestow, which he no longer will decline, that this day he still shall be a bridegroom, nor shall a fortune, the merit which his father seeks, be wanting. Tell him the reward of all his virtues waits on his acceptance. Exit Isabella. My dearest Indiana. Turns and embraces her. Have I then at last a father's sanction on my love? His bounteous hand to give, and make my heart a present worthy of Bevel's generosity? Oh, my child, how are our sorrows past, or paid by such a meeting? Though I have lost so many years of soft paternal dalliance with thee, yet in one day to find thee thus, and thus bestow thee in such perfect happiness, is ample, ample reparation. And yet again the merit of thy lover. Oh, had I spirits left to tell you of his actions, how strongly filial duty has suppressed his love, and how concealment still has doubled all his obligations, the pride, the joy of his alliance, sir, would warm your heart as he has conquered mine. How laudable is love when born of virtue! I burn to embrace him. See, sir, my aunt already has succeeded and brought him to your wishes. Enter Isabella with Sir John Bevel, Bevel Jr., Mrs. Sealand, Simberton, Myrtle, and Lucinda. Sir John Bevel entering. Where? Where is this scene of wonder? Mr. Sealand, I congratulate on this occasion our mutual happiness. Your good sister, sir, has, with the story of your daughter's fortune, filled us with surprise and joy. Now all exceptions are removed. My son has now avowed his love, and turned all former jealousies and doubts to approbation. And, I am told, your goodness has consented to reward him. If, sir, a fortune equal to his father's hopes can make this object worthy his acceptance... I hear your mention, sir, of fortune, with pleasure only as it may prove the means to reconcile the best of fathers to my love. Let him be provident, but let me be happy, my ever-destined, my acknowledged wife. Embracing Indiana. Wife! Oh, my ever-loved! My lord! My master! I congratulate myself, as well as you that I had a son who could, under such disadvantages, discover your great merit. Oh, Sir John, how vain, how weak is human prudence! What care, what foresight, what imagination could contrive such blessed events to make our children happy, 
as providence in one short hour has laid before us simberton to mrs sealand i am afraid ma'am mr sealand is a little too busy for our affair if you please we'll take another opportunity let us have patience sir but we make sir geoffrey wait ma'am oh sir i am not in haste during this bevel junior presents lucinda to indiana but here here's our general benefactor excellent young man that could at once be a lover to her beauty and a parent to her virtue if you think that an obligation sir give me leave to overpay myself in the only instance that can now add to my felicity by begging you now to bestow this lady on mr myrtle she is his without reserve i beg he may be sent for mr simberton notwithstanding you never had my consent yet there is since i last saw you another objection to your marriage with my daughter i hope sir your lady has concealed nothing from me truth sir nothing but what was concealed from myself another daughter who has an undoubted title to half my estate how mr sealand why then if half mrs lucinda's fortune is gone you can't say that any of my estate is settled upon her i was in treaty for the whole but if that is not to be come at to be sure there can be no bargain sir i have nothing to do but take my leave of your good lady my cousin and beg pardon for the trouble i have given this old gentleman that you have mr simberton with all my heart myrtle discovers himself mr myrtle. Mr. Myrtle. Mr. Myrtle. Mr. Myrtle. mr myrtle mr myrtle and i beg pardon of the whole company that i assume the person of sir geoffrey only to be present at the danger of this lady being disposed of and in her utmost exigence to assert my rights to her which if her parents will ratify as they once favoured my pretensions no abatement of fortune shall lessen her value to me generous man if sir you can overlook the injury of being in treaty with one who has meanly left her as you have generously asserted your right in her she is yours mr myrtle though you have ever had my heart yet now i find i love you more because i bring you less we have much more than we want and i am glad any event has contributed to the discovery of our real inclinations to each other mrs sealand aside well however i am glad the girl's disposed of anyway myrtle no longer rivals now but brothers dear bevel you were born to triumph over me but now our competition ceases i rejoice in the preeminence of your virtue and your alliance adds charms to lucinda now ladies and gentlemen you have set the world a fair example your happiness is owing to your constancy and merit and the several difficulties you have struggled with evidently show whate'er the generous mind itself denies the secret care of providence supplies exeunt epilogue our author whom entreaties cannot move spite of the dear coquetry that you love 
swears he'll not frustrate so he plainly means by a loose epilogue his decent scenes is it not sirs hard fate i meet to-day to keep me rigid still beyond the play and yet i'm saved a world of pains that way i now can look i now can move at ease nor need i torture these poor limbs to please nor with a hand or foot attempt surprise nor rest my features nor fatigue my eyes bless me what freakish gambols have i played what motions tried and wanton looks betrayed out of pure kindness all to overrule the threatened hiss and screen some scribbling fool with more respect i'm entertained to-night our author thinks i can with ease delight my artless looks while modest graces arm he says i need but to appear in charm a wife so formed by these examples bred pours joy and gladness round the marriage bed soft source of comfort kind relief from care and tis her least perfection to be fair the nymph with indiana's worth who vies a nation will behold with bevel's eyes end of act five end of the conscious lovers by richard steele